Hello there. Welcome back to Love Lindsay, a captivating podcast that delves into the realms of things we've written in the past and embraces the sometimes cringy nostalgia that accompanies it. Hello, hello, Lindsay lovers, mental health warriors, and listeners. I'm so glad that you're here with me this week. It is a lovely week, but I'm having some issues. Well, we'll get to that later. I'm just so glad you're here with me. I want to take this opportunity for both of us to relax. Re the F lax, as Eddie says. Um, Take a deep breath. Loosen your shoulders up. Let them fall. Let them fall lower than they've fallen all day. Because I know that them shoulders sometimes be up to our ears without us even realizing it. Um, Take a few deep breaths. Relax your face. Unclench your jaw. Relax. Take this time out for you. This is just you and me hanging out, being friends. This is our comfy area. This is our safe spot. We can just dish out whatever we have going on to each other. This is your you time. So welcome to that, especially if you haven't done it in a while, a few days, a few weeks, whatever. Here you go. Here's your time to be deliciously selfish and just worry about you. And we're going to need that today because of the topic. I think so. So I'm continuing um, the month February. It's a long February this year. I'm continuing the month of love and sex. Um, This has been another record-breaking month for me, podcast-wise, which I'm so glad because I wasn't sure how people are going to react or like the different topics that I've addressed this month. Um, And it's been amazing. The feedback has been great. The numbers have been fantastic. You guys are still coming back here week after week. And I see you there in the statistics on the Podbean app, which distributes my podcast to all the to all of the platforms. Which, by the way, when I share the Podbean app link, don't think that you have to listen to it on Podbean. My podcast is on Spotify, it's on Amazon, it's on Apple, it's everywhere. So Just know that because some people I know don't like to listen to it on Podbean. So take that and do with that what you will. Um, Yeah, it's been a great month. And not only do I see the numbers, the statistics on the app, I see and, and hear you guys message me on social media, text me saying that you've been loving the podcast and you're just still listening. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, here it is. Episode 32. And we're still going strong with Love Lindsay. And I'm just like, so blessed and so excited and so happy. And this has been amazing. I know it hasn't been my overall main focus, content creating at least, because I'm in school As you guys know, I'm on my journey to grad school. I'm officially graduating this year um, with my undergrad, and then I will be going to grad school here in Northern Michigan for social work. So, but to me, this is just as much me time as it is for you guys. This is this friendship that I have with you guys means so much to me. So to come on here an hour a week and chit chat and dilly dally is so great. I'm here at my standing desk. I would walk while talking to you guys, but I feel like that would be distracting as hell. So I don't, but I am standing here at my desk. I officially have not sat down to study a single time this semester, which 
holy cow, round of applause, amazing, magical that I have had that willpower. I mean, I've sat down a few times. There was one time where I sat at my parents' house and I didn't have my standing desk. So I sat down on the bed there to study, but um, I do all my studying while walking now. So that's great. I love getting more steps in. Um, life has been good lately. I want to put you guys on to an app I've been using called Superhuman. Um, my friend Michelle got me into it. It's this really cool like manifestation visualization app that I'm just so in love with. It's different than Calm or my tapping solution apps that I've put you guys onto in the sense that they kind of talk you through what you should be visualizing. Instead of meditating and kind of being on your own and being your own guide, this is constantly talking to you, telling you things that you should be thinking about. There are prompts on there such as like lucky girl affirmations. If you guys don't know what lucky girl is, it's kind of this thing that's taken social media by storm. Um, it's basically positivity. And the, the idea is that if you go about through life thinking and saying that you are a lucky girl and all good things come to you, you are in fact will be a lucky girl because you'll start to notice that positivity, that gratitude and like attracts like. So the more positive you are, the more positive things will happen to you. There's you know, prompts for like redesigning your mood and mindset. Um, one of my favorites is you can have it all, meaning like you absolutely can have everything that you want out of life as long as you're working towards it. Golden energy manifestation, creating your best life, new beginnings, reducing brain fog and feeling clearer. Just whatever you can think of that you want to improve on, it's there. You guys, this app has been amazing. I originally downloaded it because my friend told me that they had these weight loss visualizations on there. And I've used things like this before. Like back in the day on Amazon Prime, they had some like weight loss, healthy eating visualization things that I'd listen to in the morning. And then I just was on track as far as what my dietary goals were for the day. And so I downloaded this app and I started using it and I'm not even kidding. I lost six pounds in five days. Yeah, it was like doing this visualization in the morning and having this girl talk to me while I'm putting my makeup on or walking to class or whatever, just took out any any idea from my brain of like straying from my dietary goals and just made it happen. It was like a cleansing of my aura or something. Just, I don't know. I can't explain like where all that six pounds came from and how it happened so fast. I know that I've been on a weight loss journey. As you guys know, I'm at 25 pounds loss since last year. But just to have that loss come so quickly. So I've continued using it. Download it. It's called Superhuman. Check it out. I absolutely love it. So I've been using that a lot lately. The other thing I did recently that was new for me and out of my ordinary, because I'm in my say yes to things era, I went to a drag brunch with two of my girlfriends here in Traverse City, and I had never been to one. I have loved watching um, RuPaul's Drag Race in the past. I love, you know, everyone's favorite drag queen seems to be Trixie Mattel. I absolutely love her. I love watching her um, YouTube videos. And I've always wanted to go to like a drag show. Coming from San Francisco, where drag was really prominent, I'm, you know, it's no secret to me what it is and how fun it is. I feel like I went to some shows in San Francisco that were like drag, very campy, but it wasn't like your quintessential drag and it wasn't drag brunch. So I went to this drag brunch experience. It was so fun. We sat right next to the speakers and 
that was fun because the music was loud and it was bassy and it was good for me to experience that not only because it was out of my norm and kind of out of my comfort zone just because I'd never done it before but also I realized sitting that close to the speakers you really feel the music in your chest okay and some people love that feeling. Some people love that feeling and they love being close to the speakers and EDM and house music and it just moves them and vibes them. For someone with cardiophobia, which is the word of the day, um, not so much, not so much. I had to take several deep breaths and remember that it's music making my chest and feel pounding and not a panic attack because Guess what else makes your chest feel poundy? A panic attack. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to be getting into today. I didn't know for sure how to tie up this month of February about sex and love. Which, can I just go back for a second? Last week's episode with Autumn was amazing, was it not? Like, completely different experience than we've ever had on Love Lindsay. She was my, I think, I think sixth guest on this show and was just a completely different point of view story. I think it's so important to have friends in all different types of areas that are different from you. A lot of my other girlfriends I've had on this podcast are, um, kind of have like a similar story to me and similar things to say and talk about. And Autumn was just so new and different and so cool. And the tea, the stories, the crazy stories. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, listen to last week's episode. It would have come out last Wednesday, um, February 21st. It was amazing. It was, I just, I got so many messages, people being like, who is this girl? How can I find her? <laughs> like, I'm like, it's a secret. This, the episode is called seduction unveiled, exploring the digital realm of adult entertainment with autumn. This girl was a former playboy promoter back in California. So she also lived in California. Like I did. Um, that's another reason why we get off so well. <laughs> pun intended. Um, so check out that just really, really crazy, cool stories, some scalding hot tea. Yeah. Check it out. And it was crazy too. Cause she came out, it was the first time that we had like hung out without our husbands. And she's like, it's so weird sitting here in your living room where I had met your sister-in-law, Bridget who was involved with Playboy, as you guys know. Um, she had a picture of her and Bridget when they met like at a Playboy golf event in 2013. And then now I'm sitting here like in her family's house seeing pictures of her because we got a gift from Bridget, a digital frame that she loaded up with family pictures. And she's like, and then to now be sitting here in her family's living room, you know, with her pictures. And so it was just a surreal moment. It was also... Um, finally hanging out with someone that had been to the mansion to had been to parties. Um, cause I don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody else in Michigan that had been there. So it was cool. It was a fun experience. So check that out. Um, anyway, I didn't really know how to finish up this love and sex month. Because the first episode was very much about love, love letters, um, little gifts and notes and things I used to write to Eddie. Um, and then we had my episode where I talked about my experiences with sexual identity and kinks and experiences and all that. And then we had Autumn's episode and I'm like, how am I going to keep this going because, and I went back and I talked about like how to write the perfect love letter. That was the Valentine's day episode. <clears throat> I kind of talked about love and how it um, intersects with sex and how that interacts with mental health and how all that interacts together with writing, 
because those are the two main themes of my podcast, right? Our writing and mental health. It didn't start off as being a mental health podcast. It started off as a writing podcast and it still is about writing and it's about looking into our past and things we've written in the past and rereading it and kind of um, delving into it. But because I'm such an openly passionate person about mental health, it's really kind of common to circulate about that. And a lot of things I write about are about mental health. So I'm like, I need something that's even more on the mental health side of love and sex. And what is more apropos to intersect all those things and something talking about the heart, right? And I'm not talking about the emotional heart. I'm talking about the physical heart. Today, we're going to be talking about cardiophobia. And before you dismiss this episode, it's like, oh, it's not going to pertain to me, blah, blah, blah. We all have phobias. We all have, um, well, I shouldn't say we all have clinically diagnosed phobias. That's not true. Some, some of us are blessed to go through life without knowing a true phobia, a phobia that we've had to get psychiatric help for. That's what I'm talking about. Like most of us are afraid of spiders, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about a phobia that you have to get medical help for. Um, but we all have things like that that we're afraid of. And I'm going to talk about my experience with cardiophobia because it's been a testament to my journey of fighting things that are uncomfortable and scary and still moving on and living and getting on with my life. Um, what is cardiophobia? That's a great question. Um, let's kind of get into this so we can kind of understand this fear of heart disease. And to me, it's not just a fear of heart disease. It's a fear also of just, I hate hearing heartbeat sounds. I hate things that mimic a heartbeat. Anyway, so this is a topic that's very close to my heart, literally. <laughs> uh, cardiophobia is a phobia that specifically targets the fear of heart disease. And it's characterized by like intense anxiety, panic, and avoidance of anything related to the heart. That's me. Um, and this fear can range from like mild to severe and can significantly impact a person's daily life as it has for me. It has introduced me to the world of clinical diagnosis of OCD. I had that kind of um, in my early 20s with eating disorders, people that are extremely restrictive of what they eat and obsessive over their um, bodily appearance and all that and calories and um, tend to have a kind of dual diagnosis of some OCD type tendencies, but I had never experienced the true wrath of OCD until I developed cardiophobia last year. Um, it's crazy. It's the, just the things that can trigger it. There's this, um, let me get into like a more broad, let's talk about it more, what this is before I get into my personal experience actually. So, Cardiophobia is like, it's often associated with mental health conditions. Like I just said, particularly obsessive compulsive disorder. And OCD is characterized by intrusive thoughts and repetitive behaviors, which often manifest in various spheres or phobias. And in the case of cardiophobia, individuals, individuals with OCD, they may experience persistent worries about having a heart attack, developing heart disease, or having a genetic predisposition to these conditions. And there's all sorts of ways we can deal with this. So let's get into my story of how this developed, because maybe some of you out there are experiencing this or you're having other signs of like phobias developing. So as you know, I am someone that has panic attacks. I have panic disorder. Um, I had a, my first really bad flare up in my early 20s. And then in... 2021, I started when I started doing our job that our business does with the medical examiner. It started up again. 
I have flare-ups. They seem to come every 10 years of panic disorder. Um, and what the panic attack started bringing up in 2021 due to the job I was doing was it came with a good healthy side dose of health anxiety because I was seeing people just in the prime of their life being dying just so suddenly for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it's probably something that people in the mental or excuse me, in the, in the health field have to go through as well, kind of coming to terms with mortality and, and all that. So I had some experiences in the emergency room in my early twenties when I first started, um, having panic disorder because when you first start having panic attacks um and if you haven't had a panic attack that's so severe that you have to go to the emergency room that's amazing really i don't wish that on anybody but most people that i know that have true panic disorder because a lot of people get anxiety attack symptoms and anxiety symptoms confused with panic disorder or the term panic attack is used so loosely to me when someone says that they've had a panic attack, and I know I've said this before, when someone says they thought they were having a panic attack or they thought their friend was having a panic attack, I'm like, did your friend feel like they were going to die? Did you feel like you were probably going to die or you were actively dying? No? Then it probably wasn't a true panic attack. But that's misleading. I can't speak for everyone else. But my whole point is that usually your first introduction with panic disorder comes from trips to the emergency room because you in fact feel like you're dying. Um, me, it was always a racing heart and worrying that I was having a heart attack. Um, and then just that sense of impending doom, like, wow, I'm literally dying right now. So we better go to the ER. Um, that happened a handful of times. And while those things were happening, there were some, and this is so triggering for me, you guys, this is so hard for me to talk about. I'm not going to lie. I had a Xanax before recording this episode. I have been um, not looking forward to recording this episode. I know I've talked about cardiophobia before in here, but to have a whole episode devoted to it, to talk about the things that happened to led up to it. And the weekend I've been having symptom wise, whew, this is rough, but I'm healthy, right? Just got to keep telling yourself that. Um, when you go into the ER for these episodes, if they're severe enough, they will do a bunch of testing to make sure that it is indeed not your heart. One of the things that they did, because they couldn't get my heart rate to come down, no matter what, and it wasn't just a panic attack, you guys. This was the early 2000s. I wanted to be skinny and I wanted, I was, I was taking diet pills. They were from GNC and those are known to be loaded with things we don't need, like so much extra caffeine and all that. So, um, it kind of was a double-edged sword of panic disorder diagnosis and taking those diet pills, which I definitely stopped taking after my first couple run-ins with the emergency room. So they couldn't figure out why my, they couldn't get my heart rate down and they, um, intravenously gave me some medication that briefly stops your heart because they're like what if this is an electrical thing and I guess um you can kind of start and like restart it kind of like a computer I guess and restart the electrical part of the heart and see if it restarts and you know goes back down they did it not once but twice I was on vacation with Eddie in Philadelphia and uh, I had to go to the emergency room, get my heart stopped twice, spend the night. It was absolutely horrifying. And I feel like I blocked out the things that happened because I did not develop cardiophobia after that. Or maybe this is the other reason why I didn't develop cardiophobia because I did several ECGs. I did a halter monitor. I had a, um, what's it called? Ultrasound done on my heart, which was really cool. I don't think I could handle that now with my cardiophobia, but back then I didn't have it yet. So I was just more curious. I got to watch my heart 
on a ultrasound. So although I've never been pregnant, I've never had an ultrasound and got to see the heartbeat of my baby or anything like that, guess what I got to see? My heart beating in all of its wonderful glory. You know what it looked like? A dancing elephant. It looked like an elephant dancing, and I think the, t- the different... Uh, I'm learning too much about the brain and not um, enough about the heart because I don't know what it's called. The lobes. Um, help me out here, nurses. It looked like a dancing elephant and like the two chambers of the heart were like big floppy elephant ears. Like it, it was so surreal. And I was terrified because it was the middle of all this testing. I still didn't know for sure if I was healthy or not cardiac wise. Um, and it was all clear. It's all good. So it truly is panic disorder. And that I think is the kind of the diagnosis we're hoping for after that. Like, oh no, you know what, babe, you weren't having a heart attack at 23, 24, 33, 34, 39, whatever. Yeah. It wasn't a heart attack, but unfortunately for you, It was panic disorder and good luck with having that the rest of your life because it sucks. Um, To me, panic disorder is just having to deal with, this is my personal experience. To me, when I think panic disorder and my symptoms, it's a pounding racing heart and thinking I'm dying right now. I'm going to die. It's not fun. It's not just psychological the physical symptoms start first. It doesn't happen when I'm thinking about it. And so then it starts to happen. The physical symptoms start first. That rush of adrenaline, that is what panic disorder does is it releases that adrenaline. And that's where people get confused between panic attack and anxiety attack. Um, Panic attack is that huge release of adrenaline that causes your heart to start racing for no reason. Or the good reason, chemical reason. Um, No, a lion is not chasing you. Um, I'm not a caveman living in the cave days and I have to rely on fight or flight very often. I'm in a, my God, I have a wonderful, beautiful, fantastic life with an amazing foundation of great family, great friends, great husband, great marriage, great home, great city. I have no reason to have these fight or flight times, but they happen anyway. And that makes it even more terrifying. So I didn't develop cardiophobia during that. And I think maybe a good reason for it was because I had gotten the all clear. Um, Randomly last February, so we are at a year now. This is another reason why it was important to me to make this episode is a year ago, and this is how little it can be kind of started off with. A year ago, I had been having panic attacks off and on again for two or three years. Um, I was, you know, in another full-time semester of classes, always on my weight loss journey. I was doing intermittent fasting, doing a lot of HIIT classes, high intensity interval workout, which is just high cardio. Um, I was sick. I had an ear infection, a fever, and a perforated eardrum, and then some other stressful circumstances. And I went to the doctor to, to get ear infection medication. And for the first time ever in my life, because I don't remember even having high blood pressure when I had these panic attacks. I must have. Yeah, I think I did. I just didn't make as big of an impact on me. I had high, um, a high blood pressure reading. And at that moment, the, the stars collided and I immediately became obsessed and fixated on that high blood pressure reading and immediately thought it was because I was going to die. Um, Again, it sounds so unfactual, not rooted in fact, and um, but that's how it goes. So with that high blood pressure reading, and then I 
try to take it at home. And because I was, I was lit, I panic attacks for me are usually brief, a few minutes, and then kind of just like jumbly, weak feeling the rest of the day. At this point now, I was having back to back all day panic attack. So I kept trying to take my own blood pressure at home. It was still high. And then I had to go to the doctor and I'm like crying and I'm telling them I'm worried about it simultaneously while not wanting to get it taken again. And my doctor's like, I'm not worried about your blood pressure. You're healthy. You're having some panic symptoms. I don't want you to worry about it. You know, maybe take it at home for a while if you're worried about it. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, I have made some progress with cardiophobia, but I still, the idea of putting the cuff on my arm and taking the blood pressure reading um, causes me to start to have panic attack symptoms again. So I'm still at a phase in my recovery where still the idea of taking it, it's not quite white coat syndrome because white coat syndrome is you're at the doctor's office, you see the doctor, it happens that's kind of the the alternative he was giving me. He's like, if you're worried about it, then take it at home when you're not at the doctor's office and stressed out. Well, just the idea of taking it is stressing me out. I got the okay from him saying that I'm fine and not to worry about it. Um, so I don't need to monitor it at home because I'm healthy. I exercise. My blood work is always stellar. Um, I devote more time and exercise more time to exercise and getting my steps in and cardio and, and all that and weight training than a lot of people I know. Um, so I just, I tell myself those things. I have a very healthy diet. I count every calorie I eat. Um, and so I'm not at the point yet where I can start taking my blood pressure at home, but I hope I can reach that point because my goal is to be able to go back to the doctor's office and not avoid it at this time. Like when I go to the dentist, they have started wanting to take blood pressure um, before cleaning. I understand if they want to do it for like uh, anesthetic, but I've got great hygiene and I guess really good genetic predisposition for oral health because I never really have to get dental work done. Um, and I have to tell them, unfortunately, um, I can't get my blood pressure taken. If you wanted to take my blood pressure, you could, but then I would have to leave. I wouldn't be able to get, I wouldn't be able to sit getting through my, getting my teeth clean because I would ha start having a panic attack. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, we don't want that. We'd rather just get your teeth clean. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. So um, that's where we're at with that. And I kind of want to talk about writing as a coping mechanism for OCD type symptoms of cardiophobia, because we all know that writing can be such a powerful tool for self-reflection and self-expression and processing thoughts and emotions, right? That's why, you know, if you're not going to go to therapy, because we can all benefit from therapy, and those of us that do go to therapy usually have to go to therapy to deal with the people in our lives that refuse to go to therapy. So food for thought. If you're not going to do that, if you don't have the insurance to cover it, if you're just, nah, therapy's not for me, then by golly, you should at least be writing. We all need some self-awareness because it can be so easy to go through life thinking everything we're doing is fine and okay with everybody else. And we're not ever checking in with ourselves to be like, Hey, is the way I'm treating this person the best? Or is, you know, this habit that I have, is this probably the best, you know, we all need to take the, you know, check with ourselves, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> um, Self-improvement is so important and take it as an elder millennial or a dinosaur millennial, as I like to call myself, um, someone older than my listening audience, I guess, because apparently my listening audience is females um, in their 20s. I think it's like 18 to 24 is the biggest chunk. Um, take it for me. 
we all need self-improvement. So if you're not going to go to therapy, then write, because writing is a great way to process things and to check in with ourselves. But for people struggling with cardiophobia, writing can, it like provides a space to explore my fears and worries and concerns in a safe and controlled manner. And that goes for all phobias or all things that scare us. Um, it can provide an emotional release, like pent up emotions, things like that. Um, especially when I know people are sick of hearing about it, like my friends and family or husband, it's good for cognitive processing. So I like to be able to really, you ever heard of like thinking about something over and over again, starts to make it seem weird and it loses its power. That's kind of the idea between, or the idea for EMDR therapy, which I discussed in my neurology and depression episode, Therapies and Beyond, which doesn't have as many listeners as my other podcast episodes. And I think I know why, because not everyone's into neurology, but check it out if you want to learn more about EMDR therapy. Um, that's kind of the idea is that you're thinking about it so much and processing it in different ways that it becomes not so scary and triggering. Um, Resposure and response prevention is huge. So writing can be used as a form of exposure and response therapy or ERP therapy. Um, and it involves kind of like gradually exposing yourself to the source of the fear and anxiety while refraining from engaging in compulsive behaviors. So one of the things I want to start doing is getting the blood pressure cuff out and just having it sit near me and then write about it. And then maybe a few days later, hearing the audible triggering <laughs> sound of the Velcro unwrapping and putting it on my arm and then writing about how I feel. You know, that's that's ERP therapy. Um, and at the very least, writing in terms of helping out our phobias and OCD type behaviors um, is a good form of self-care and support. So documenting these experiencings and feelings, you can help it feel valid, feel safe. Um, and it's just another way to, to kind of work through it on your own without burdening those around you with what you're dealing with. So all those things I highly suggest. Um, some other OCD type tendencies I've developed through this journey of cardiophobia. Um, so there's this, and it's a, a true psychological clinical phrase called magical thinking. And the magical thinking part of OCD is that if I think it, if I come across it, if I see the word, if I see it in a TV show, if it comes up on my cell phone predictive text thing, which is something that happened to me in my experience, then that must mean that it's going to happen. And that's true classic OCD. Most people think true classic OCD is tapping the doorknob eight times because, you know, you feel like you need to lock it and you didn't remember repetitive stuff like that. Of course, it's true OCD, but the magical thinking part of that, which can just be purely in your head before you take outward behavior responses to it, is really that you can't have one without the other because the magical thinking tells you that that tapping of that doorknob or whatever, um, it's very cliche, but uh, tells you that it's going to work. So like last summer... Um, for me, going on trips really triggers my panic disorder. I think part of that, besides the obvious, um, is because my first run-ins with panic attacks and going to the ER, and that time I did have my heart stopped twice to see if they could get my heart rate to slow down, um, did happen on a, on a road trip. Also, you know, 
people love to talk about how relaxing vacations are and they are and they're great and they're good for you and you should never hide from them just because it's stressful, but they are stressful. And it's just been statistically shown that you don't sleep as well when you're in a different room than you usually are. And just all those little things combined, leaving home, leaving your pets, leaving your business, all that, uh, spending more money. Um, it's just more stressful. So I tend to be uh, more prone to panic symptoms and OCD, magical thinking symptoms when I'm on vacation. I'm getting ready now to go on a vacation to Florida and I have all of these things in mind. Um, so Last summer, we were on this road trip and uh, wasn't doing very well symptom-wise. I think from the outside, I appeared completely fine, um, but I was really kind of buried deep in my own head of, of uh, scary thoughts. So every time I saw a sign for a hospital, you know, when you're on the highway or the freeway and you see the H on a sign that'll tell you like hospital at this nearest stop or whatever. Every time I saw that, my OCD would be like, hey, you know what that means? That means you're gonna need a hospital. Just something that sounds so like it wouldn't be stressful was terrifying to me. I had not yet experienced that type of thinking um, that was new for me when I came back and talked to my therapist about it. She's like, maybe you can try reframing that. Uh, reframing is a huge thing in, in therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy um, as, you know what, if something ever did happen to me, it's good to know there's a hospital there. And that's all that is. So I've tried kind of reframing stuff like that. Um, I was in Detroit over the Christmas holiday Whew, I'm getting sweaty just talking about this stuff, guys. I'm clammy. I am clammy. Um, on this holiday visit to my girlfriends for like Christmas time in Detroit, um, I was texting my husband, Eddie, to let him know that we got settled into our hotel. And then in a little while, we would be... Um, heading downtown and you know how like your phone will try to predict words you're trying to spell out. <sighs> I've literally never typed this word out. What did it say? I think it was arrhythmia or something like that. Honestly, I've never typed out the word arrhythmia on my cell phone. I swear to God. And my phone's like, Hey, are you trying to type out this like cardio cardiophobia inducing terrifying phrase? I'm like, no, I'm literally just trying to tell my husband that we're here, we're safe, we're heading out soon, and it has to hit me like a ton of bricks. That magical thinking part, so it goes to show you that even me who acknowledges I know what the magical thinking part of the OCD is, and having it still terrify me and send me into symptoms, I can't imagine how people feel that have these type of symptoms and magical thinking type revelations and don't know that it's part of an illness feel they must be absolutely terrified. So every once in a while I say on this podcast, this is a good episode to share with your friends and family or the general public on social media, blah, 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 because I'm talking about things that aren't really talked about or well-known. This is one of those episodes. Share this episode share it, post the link on social media, um, because there's something that everybody can learn from this. So I saw that and it gets me to start thinking about that. Um, there's different movies that I've had to turn or like TV shows when I know that a character is about to have a cardio, a cardiac episode, I'll have to fast forward through it. This past weekend, I've done some things that trigger it. Um, lately, I've been doing a lot of my walking while studying, which means I'm not walking very fast. And although I'm still getting my five to 10,000 steps a day, I'm just not doing my, you know, moderate pace and I'm not hiking as much the last couple months. 
um, at least not really in December or January. So this past weekend, Eddie finally had it slow down enough for him work-wise for us to do some hikes that we love doing. And there's this one um, near the old state hospital, the old asylum. There's all of these amazing trails that we um, like to do winter hikes. And it's fine during the summer too, but we just love a good winter hike. We love snowshoeing. Unfortunately, it's been a very mild winter. So we have not been able to do as much snowshoeing as we like, but we went and hiked and there's this extremely big hill. And I go into it telling myself, we don't have to do the big hill. Like, no, we can just walk around it. There's so many other trails and things to see. But in my heart of hearts, I knew I wanted to conquer that hill because it's a steep one. And once you get to the top, you can see the whole city, the bays, everything. You can see miles. Um, so we did that and it's, you know, very heart poundy cardio. It's a good, great workout, great workout walking up a steep hill like that. And um, I'm used to only doing that on my neighborhood walks or at the gym. So it's just a different experience. And I have a hard time talking myself down when I'm feeling my heart really work like that really work hard. It just, I associate it with a panic attack. I just do every time, every time my heart beats, every time I go to the gym, I have to, there's always a moment or two in my workout, especially if it coincides with like bassy fast music, I have to be like, Hey, you're doing this and it's actually a good thing. Your heart's like so happy right now. It's like loving this. It's like, yes, I get to work hard and flex my muscles. Well, the heart is a muscle, but you get what I'm saying. I'm anthropomorph, anthro, whatever, you know that word. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's triggering. It's like, hey, I'm doing this a healthy way. I stop a few times on my way up the hill. I kind of let it go back down again. Um, and I don't have to physical endurance wise, I could keep going, but I have to kind of stop and be like, Hey, it's okay. Your heart's beating really hard. Cause this is a steep hill. And once you get to the top, it's going to be so beautiful. And, and what I got to really experience this year with that hill, as opposed to last year is, um, how much easier it was for me to go up and how much faster, my heart rate recovered. I got to just be like, wow, it's, I've only been standing here for a few seconds resting and it's already going back down so quickly because I work, work it out so well and I take such good care of it. Um, but even so doing that kind of, um, that strenuous workout, I have been, like I said, just doing 45 minute workouts at the gym. It's more of like weight training and stuff like that. So I haven't been doing as much cardio the last couple of months as I could be. And, um, you know, you kind of feel wobbly and good after a good workout that way. And that can sometimes be triggering for me panic wise. And the next day, um, we decided to do it again, except we were going to do this, um, hike called Brown Bridge. And it's, um, we do this, you don't have to do four miles, but, um, again, I went there telling myself, we don't have to do the long one. We can do the short one. Like, don't be crazy girl. Like, but in my heart of hearts, I knew I was going there to conquer this. And the reason why I want to, I try to do Brown Bridge a couple times a year is because it's, um, I hate to keep using the word triggering, it's scary to me because you're far away. You're at, at a few points, you're a couple hours walk away from any cars or any roads or any kind of help. And with someone with severe health anxiety, I don't have just cardiophobia. I have health anxiety too. Um, and kind of feeling comfortable in the fact that I'm always and this is just, it sucks, but it's the way my mind works. I'm always in a place when I'm at home or when I'm 
at school. Like I'm in a place that's more metropolitan and an ambulance is always just a few minutes away. And you just, your, your mind tells you what it thinks it needs to hear to feel safe. So there's parts on this hike where you're going out quite a bit and you're further away. And if something did happen, you know, you or somebody has to walk an hour, a couple hours back to the car, or whatever. Um, so we did that walk and it was going great. And then um, usually, like I, I've been saying, I've been walking on my walking pad for two to three hours a day while studying, while watching TV while scrolling through TikTok, whatever. If I'm doing it, I'm walking, except for at the very end of the night after dinner, then I will actually let myself sit on the couch. Anyway, um, because I'm doing it outside, um, there's this point in this hike where you're, you're in the woods like for the first half and it's beautiful um, and you're in kind of the shadows and, and sunlight and different terrain. But then you get to this part where you're walking through a meadow and the wind is constantly on you. The sun is like in your face and the wind is just constantly making your nose run. And um, I just started to feel, and I have a tendency to talk a lot on hikes. Like I probably drive Eddie nuts. <laughs> um, and this is kind of the point of the hike that bothers him too. Like it's, it's, I can't explain it. It's a part of this hike that's like disorienting because it's such a change of scenery. Um, and I started to feel panicky and woozy and like a little dizzy because I'm just not used to doing those types of hikes. I've just been doing all of my workouts indoors lately. And this weekend reminded me, hey, you can't stop doing your outdoor walks just because you're getting them done indoors. Like, it's so important to have that change of scenery. I get it. All right. All right, uncle. Like, um, so there was that. And I was like, but you know what? I'm fine. I had, you know, I drank some more water. I didn't stop and rest. I could have, but I felt like that was just prolonging it. And I knew my body didn't need a rest. I knew it was my mind. At three miles of walking up and down hills and stuff like that, you're going to feel the average American, I think is going to feel, you're going to feel a little woozy. You're going to feel, start to feel a little tired. Your muscles are going to start to feel a little tight, you know, like it's just, um, that's normal. Um, when you're walking at a good clip. So I had to remind myself that this is normal. And Eddie's like, yeah, I mean, I remember being at this point last year and, feeling the same way like god how much longer do we have to go like i said this this part of the hike is disorienting so um we got through it we finished it and i felt so good and i remember being after a good workout like that not after the one hour one the day before up the hill that's nothing but this longer 4.5 mile one um i'm used to doing five miles around boardman lake here which is all flat um, this is 4.5 miles going up and downhill. I knew I was going to feel tired afterwards and I kind of get triggered by, you know, like when you've been working out really hard and you're tired. And then, so like when you sit down later on that day and you go to like stand up too quick and you feel kind of like woozy and lightheaded for a second. <laughs> I mean, at least I hope you guys feel that way. It's not just me. I'm just kidding. Um, I think everybody experiences this from time to time. So I was like, damn. I'm going to have to contend with that symptom today. Um, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Again, I have been working out really hard, so I'm just recovering faster. Both after both outdoor excursions this weekend, we, it was still very much daytime. Like I said, our winter is so mild this year and the sun was out and blasting feeling like spring. We let our chickens out to kind of free range in the yard. And when we do that, they just have to be my mommy and daddy. So um, we let the chickens out, got some bottled water, um, some nice drinks, and went and sat in the hot tub in the sun, watching our chickens kind of peck around, letting the hot, uh, 
this hot tub we have is not just your regular regular hot tub you guys we got like the hydrotherapy hot tub it's actually made for soothing muscles there are jets all over that really work your back like most of my girlfriends when they get it they're like whoa this this is like blasting me away from the side it's yeah it can be intense it's meant to really work your muscles not only in your back but in your like um thighs and your calves and then there's even jets to put your feet on that kind of massage your feet so it's magical it's beautiful highly recommend um and yeah we just took care of ourselves and both nights well we make a healthy dinner every night every night it's protein and veggies veggies and protein that's that's our whole diet right there Veggies and, and protein, meat at night, and then eggs and veggies in the morning. Um, that's what we eat. Anyway, so it was just, it was great. I did feel a little more tired. I have been having some more panic symptoms at night, um, which usually manifests as nightmares, and then waking up from a nightmare with a heart pounding, and then feeling like you're not, you can't get out of the dream. I've I've talked to you guys about this multiple times in this podcast, so you know. So a little bit of flare up in my panic disorder, cardiophobia. I was talking to my girlfriend the other night after dinner, and she's great. I love her. She's actually a cardio nurse, cardiac nurse. Um, and we were just talking about, um, briefly before she dropped me off about my experiences, um, with cardio testing due to panic attacks. And that kind of, that conversation caught me off guard. I've been able to talk about it a lot lately without being, um, without it kind of making me relapse. Um, but that for some reason, something about that conversation caught me off guard and I felt kind of panicky that night. And then, um, so a little bit of symptoms lately. And that's okay because the rest of my life is beautiful. Um, I just had my midterms and I got an A on both my midterms. I thought I got a B on my first one for um, stats and research methods. You guys, I'm. I'm not going to get cocky, I swear to God, but I'm just, I'm mastering it so far. Um, I thought I got a B on my stats and research methods exam, my midterm, um, but I guess he didn't, he thought that, I think when a professor decides to grade things on a, grade things on a curve, he notices that like most students got this question wrong, or maybe these questions weren't worded as well. So then he decides to add on points. So I went from a B to an A because he added five points onto everybody's exam. And then I got a 96 on my neurology, my neurology midterm, you guys, holy cow. Like, you guys, this is the class that I dropped last semester because it was too hard. I mainly dropped it, not because I was like, I'm never going to take that. Like, I have to take it. I have to take it to graduate. Um, I just felt like there would be a better option for a professor. I handpicked my professor. There are three of them that teach this class at Grand Valley. And the first one I was put with was very hard to understand. Got upset when we asked questions and just... Um, she was just tough, not my style, I guess that's the nice way to put it. Um, but I found this other professor, I looked up her ratings and rate my professor, she, great. And um, I've been mastering it all. Like I know so much about the neurological workings of our psychological mind. And I'm only halfway through. So there, there will probably be another episode or two that I'll sacrifice as far as knowing that they're not going to get as high of ratings because it's going to be another neurological based episode where I'm talking about how neurons work and how SSRIs work and how EMDR therapy works. Like it's going to be like that. I don't care because this is why I'm doing this podcast is to pass on information, make it more palatable, um, 
The other thing that I've been getting into lately is uh, I've always been one of those girls that, or people, doesn't matter if I'm a girl or not. I've always been one of those people that's like, you know, I just don't know that much about politics, so I don't really care about voting. And I do vote for presidential elections, but um, not a, I don't get as into it as I should. I should be more responsible. I should be a better American citizen. And like I've talked about in this podcast before, I'm a patriot. I love America. And I recognize the weaknesses in the way our society is set up in order to better appreciate our country for you. You got to see the weaknesses to appreciate the strengths, right? And I just kind of realized I don't know as much. I want to start from the beginning. How did the Republican ideals start? How did the Democrat ideals start? Why are those our two main ways of political ideals? Why are they divided that way now? Where did it come from? Where did it start? Um, I no longer listen to books on my drives to school and back, my 600-mile journey a week I do. I am now listening to lectures. So there's this great, it's called The Great Courses, and it's wonderful, vetted out, esteemed professors that have wrote, written dissertations, journal articles, things that are peer-evaluated, award-winning professors that will do these courses that you can take. Um, a lot of, most of them are around 20 hours. Um, and it's like taking a college class, but for free, I use it through Audible. Um, and I downloaded a 20-hour course, a 20-hour lecture on the French Revolution. Because to me, the French and the American Revolution go hand in hand. You can't have one. You literally cannot have one without the other. If you want to know how we got started, you got to look at what was going on in France and what France did for us. Because we wouldn't be here if it weren't for France. Um, they really helped a lot. And then we, you know, chased them back out. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, so I did that. And once that was done, I was like, eh, I'm ready for the next revolution. So I'm going to do the American Revolution, um, even though the American Revolution was happening before the French Revolution. But you get what I mean. It's all pretty much the same 50-year, 20-year time frame. So now I am 15 hours, uh, maybe more like 10 hours into my 20 hour lecture on the American revolution. And why I'm doing this is because, and I'm telling you about this because I've always been of the state of mind that if you have a weakness somewhere or something you're not very good at, good at, and you want to know more about it, you got to learn, you got to research, you got to step out of your comfort zone. You got to be like, Hey, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a break from podcasts and fluffy, easy listening. And I'm going to listen to some lectures. Um, and I love it. I actually took a, a couple quizzes on Quizlet about the French revolution after listening to my course and I got like a C on them. <laughs> so I'm like, this is amazing. Um, and I'm doing all this because it's a, it's a voting, it's an election year. Instead of just being like, I think this is why I am this political leaning and I'm not going to go into what I am or what I think I am. No more guessing. This year, I'm going to know because I'm going to know how these two ways of, you know, we've divided things kind of into two main ways, Republican and Democrat, how those came about, what they're based on, what the history is, and the ideals that have developed it from the beginning. And that's what I'm doing. So just more food for thought if... If you needed some push to 
maybe get, you know, if there's something that you've been wanting to learn about or look more into and you just don't know where to start, just starting. It all starts with a Google search. Um, so that's my political journey right now. <laughs> that's my, my, and the cool thing is, is that I love history too. So um, I'm just loving this. I think after this, I'm going to go right into the civil war. Cause I also love war history. Ugh, I'm just, I'm eating it up. I know it's so boring, but um, that's where I'm at. You guys, what happened? A whole hour has come and I didn't even get to read anything, but I think that's okay. I feel like sometimes there's going to be episodes of love Lindsay, where there's not a main thing to, to, to read to you, or I'm not going to have, especially now in my 32nd episode, I've realized that I'm not, and I, I kind of had an issue. I was thinking the last couple weeks, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find something to read for every topic I want to talk about. And I feel like as long as I'm telling you guys things from my heart that are the absolute truth, and I'm also including ways to write about it, um, then it's fine. And even if I didn't, you know, it's my damn podcast. So <laughs> the, that's the reason why I chose Love Lindsay as the name, because it's just all things me that I'm interested in and that I think I that'll be of value to you. So that's where we're at, you guys. Uh, this has been, I feel good right now. I don't feel panicky. I don't feel, I, I was sitting there this morning drinking my tea, having my heart racing, thinking about recording this, you guys. I was dreading it, but I'm like, this is my... This is one of my best friends here. I'm talking about you. You're one of my best friends. I can't shy away from you because the subject matter is going to be hard. So this, thank you for your support this last month. If you haven't listened to the other episodes for February, do check them out. Um, every single one has been, I've had to kind of reach out of like, what I've done out of the ordinary for this podcast, which is like reading to you historical love letters, talking about how to write good love letters, talking about sex and kinks and, and sex work. And, um, and then now talking about this. So do check them out as you guys have been, um, share this podcast with one other person rate this podcast on whatever um, platform you're listen, listening to it on or hit me up on social media. You know where to find me. If you need to find my social media links, you can go to my website, which is lindsayloomis.com, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-L-O-O-M-I-S. And um, you should find everything on there that you're looking for. As far as ways to reach me, and yeah, you know what though? There's only another week in between when we're gonna see each other again. So I will see you guys back here next Wednesday for another episode of Love Lindsay. <laughs>